0: Be seated. Psalms 3 and 4, if you'd like to turn there. This is the perfect, inerrant, infallible word of God. It is for our good. Let's give it our attention. Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are. There is salvation for him in God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And Psalm 4, "'Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies?' But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound, In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. May the Lord bless the reading and now the preaching of his holy word. Amen. You woke up on time, rested and refreshed. That's how you knew you weren't on a lead with character trip. (laughs) You looked at the day's to-do list, and it was actually the stuff you don't mind doing. Some of those tasks you even enjoy. The people around you are in a good mood. All day, everything goes according to plan. School or work is a joy, and social interactions are fulfilling. Your marriage is in a particularly sweet season Trust and gratitude are high, therefore so are kindness and grace. Things are at peace, and so you feel at peace. That makes for a peaceful day. Of course, meanwhile, there are brothers and sisters in Christ whose circumstances are anything but There are, even this morning, churches in countries with nowhere safe to meet. There are children who woke up in an abusive home, women being exploited, and people of all kinds battling the dark and discouraging thoughts of mental illness. There's a woman who is losing hope that her marriage can be saved. Every attempt to get help is met with another blow-up. There's a man who is still looking for work as his family wonders how their very real needs will be met. There are parents who've learned that their teenager has another life, one that is far from Christ, and now they don't even know what to expect. There are cancer diagnoses, the challenges of aging, the death of a loved one. There are days all around us, there are days in our own congregation, there are days in our own lives that are anything but peaceful. This morning, I'd like to suggest a somewhat artificial distinction in terms to highlight a very real distinction in reality, and the terms I'll use are the difference between peaceful And peace filled. Now, there's not anything wrong with the word peaceful, but I'm a visitor, so just go with it this morning. Peaceful days are dictated by the types of circumstances I just described. And isn't that where we often go looking for peace? Even though we know we can't make a peaceful day because we can't control our circumstances, it doesn't stop us from trying. We make relaxing plans, we outsource our responsibilities, and sometimes our efforts at peaceful will work. Sometimes they won't. The problem with circumstances as a source of peace is that circumstances are beyond our control. So where will we turn instead? I've brought us to the Psalms this morning. The theme of the whole Psalter is the blessedness of life with God. And so it's no surprise that as that vision unfolds, peace becomes a dominant theme throughout the Psalms. The godly long for and have confidence in a future time when sin and the curse are no more and peaceful is the order of the day. Come, Lord Jesus. But in this life, in the days that are before us now, the target, I would suggest this morning, is not actually peaceful, but peace-filled. Psalms 1 and 2, as I'm sure you know, form an introduction to the Psalter. Taken together, there are two entrance gates through which we pass through into the Psalms. The next psalm, Psalm 3, is the first of five psalms that relate to times of trouble. No sooner do we enter into the path of following God in the life of blessedness than do we encounter trouble. The way of the righteous will not be one of peaceful circumstances. Psalms 3, lament, is both expected and a notable contrast from Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, remember, God's king was anointed and established on the throne. God laughed at the efforts of the wicked to cast off their king. But here in Psalm 3, it begins with King David in danger. Many foes are rising against him, and it appears they have at least a chance of success. Psalm 2 told us this would happen, that rulers and nations would seek to defy God and his anointed king, and now one psalm later, it has happened. We read it in the title, when David fled from Absalom, his son. That's from 2 Samuel 15 and 16, where we read about Absalom, who, while David was king, went on a PR campaign to turn the people against his father, to overthrow his father, and to install him on the throne instead. And David was caught off guard by this betrayal, and so all he could do was gather up the few supporters that he still had and flee Jerusalem. And you can imagine David looking back over his shoulder as he's leaving the city of his own kingdom, and he says, "Oh Lord, how many are my foes? He's not being dramatic or allegorical. He's counting. Aren't there days where you find yourself counting your foes? Psalm 4 also begins like a lament, but with more domestic concerns rather than the military imagery of Psalm 3. The people are saying, this is Psalm 4 verse 6, who will show us some good? And we get clarity in verse 7, the good they seek is grain and wine. What's happening here is that drought has led to famine. Israel didn't have a lot of extra water and rain and dew made the difference between times of plenty and times of want. And in these ancient monarchies, it was the king who was responsible. They knew the king couldn't bring the rain, but he was responsible for praying for the rain and for leading the people to pray for the rain and for really doing whatever it took to appease the god or gods responsible for bringing the rain. A crisis at the farm would result in a crisis at the palace. People would lose confidence in their king and doubt his favor with God. They reason that if God doesn't answer the king's prayer for rain, something is wrong with the king, and maybe they need a better king. The threat to David in Psalm 4 is not a mutinous son and military, it's verse 2, his honoring being turned to shame, the people loving vain words and seeking after lies. David, we can't follow you anymore. If God isn't listening to you, if we don't have rain and crops, we can't follow you. But, of course, in this drought and famine, we find that they're not just slandering David and longing for a better king. They're also slandering God and looking for a more effective deity. If Yahweh can't give them the peaceful days that they seek, maybe another deity can. We know what happens when you try to take matters into your own hands They think that it will bring peace, but we would never try anything so foolish, right? This morning, I'd like for us to look at how David approaches these kinds of situations. And I say kinds because Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 are two different events, two different types of externally difficult circumstances, and yet he approaches them in the same way. And I think this could be very helpful to us when we're in times of difficult circumstances. First, he moves not inward, I'll take control of this myself, or outward, let me blame others around me. No, David moves upward. Peace starts vertically. Peace starts vertically. The audience of verse 1 is God. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. David will have some things to say to the people. He's their king. He needs to call them back to faithfulness. But before he would ever dare approach them in correction, he turns first to God. And he begins by remembering God's own faithfulness. Verse 1 continues, you have given me relief when I was in distress. The memory of God's past faithfulness is rich fuel for hope in what God will do. I would encourage you to keep some sort of of record, even if you're not a, a journaler, keep some written record of your prayers and of the faithfulness of God in answering them, of your difficulties and trials and in the faithfulness of God in answering them, because every now and then you will need to go back to those lists to be reminded the memory of God's faithfulness is rich fuel for hope in what he will do. The title David uses here, O God of My Righteousness, is an interesting one. It's not used anywhere else in Scripture. And of course, here it's perfectly placed because the people are thinking about Yahweh as if He's like them, as if He's like the false gods. They are thinking about what they would do if they were God. I know we've never done such a thing in our circumstances. Well, if I were in charge, here's what would happen. But these people were thinking such things. They would send rain based on who pleased them. They would send rain based on who they thought needed it. They would provide for the people if they were pleased enough with what the people had done. And so that's how the people are evaluating David. Obviously, God is not pleased with you. You haven't done enough. You need to do more to get better circumstances. But Yahweh is not fickle. He is righteous. He will do in all relationships what is right. He will keep his covenant. In fact, David proclaims that Yahweh is his righteousness. We sometimes want peaceful days as an exchange for our own obedience. But real peace comes from relying fully on the obedience of another. God, my righteousness. Now there's peace. What strengthened David, the awareness of God's redeeming love for him, can do the same for us because, dear ones, God has filled you with his righteousness. And, oh, what peace can be ours. Now, that doesn't mean David's day feels peaceful. We read the psalm. His day feels dangerous. He feels distress. And even more, he feels like his prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And despite all this, he implores God to hear and answer him. Real peace starts vertically. When his circumstances lack peace, he turns upward to the God of all peace. I found it helpful that another teacher describes David's appeals as being both honest and balanced. They're honest because David tells it like it is. You know, an advantage of bringing our prayers before God in difficult circumstances is that God knows the situation perfectly anyway, so we don't need to pretend like we do with one another. Other people ask us how we're doing, and we say, fine, in the greatest bit of acting that we'll ever do. We try to keep up appearances. We pretend that we're less affected by our circumstances than we are. With God, David just tells the truth. This is really hard, and I hate this. He tells the truth about how his circumstances are affecting him. He is troubled. David's appeals are also balanced because he asks God for relief, not based on his own perfection, but on God's. Yes, in both cases, David is the victim of injustice, even painful betrayal. David will not hesitate to plead his innocence against the specific false accusations that are made. But if you look closely, David's hope for relief is because of God's righteousness and faithfulness, not because he's innocent of these charges. Even in his lament that others have sinned against him, he's casting himself on God's mercy as someone who desperately needs what he doesn't deserve. And that's important because if we'll start with that upward dimension for peace, if we'll start standing with others who are in need of God's righteousness and peace, we will then be made ready to talk to them. That's what happens for David. He's ready now to talk to the people, to challenge their rebellion, to call them back to the goodness and faithfulness of God. It's not because they're opposing David. It's because they're opposing God's anointed king, and therefore, they're opposing God himself. They're turning away from David and from God to see if someone else will give them more peaceful circumstances. And because David began not with his offense not with a a self-righteous assessment of his own worth and goodness, but because he began by turning upward toward God and remembering the faithfulness of God. Imagine how his demeanor changes even as he is calling the people to repentance. And that's what he does. He calls them to repent, to offer true worship, to reorganize their priorities. Many times this is what we need to do when someone is calling us out of sin In verse 3, he uses the word godly as an appeal for loyalty to God and his covenant. Remember who you are. That you have abandoned God should make you afraid. Verse 4 is be angry. That's a word that's more related to trembling than to being mad. They They should tremble. They should be frustrated with themselves that on account of their circumstances, they're walking away from God rather than toward them. And so he says, turn back to God, offer right sacrifices, verse 5, and put your trust in the Lord. They need to stop looking for peace in grain and wine when real peace can be found in the light of God's face upon them. One author acknowledged no food, no amount of money, no clothes, no car, no house, no retirement package, no vacation, no travel destination should possibly compare with the overwhelming glory of seeing God's face. And if you struggle to believe that this morning, if you think to yourself, yeah, maybe if my circumstances were okay, God would look more glorious than those bonuses. But I, but I am down in a pit. I cannot count my foes. I need my circumstances to change. And then I can see the beauty of God's face. Dear one, I tell you it will never work. Look Up to the face of God, see more glory and peace to be found in beholding His face than in any of those things that you want, any of those things you think you so desperately need. You may get some of those things. These things will be added unto you, but there is nothing more glorious than living before the face of God. Unlike in Psalm 3, where David used military language and asked God to strike and break the wicked. Psalm 4 is more personal. He urges God's enemies to repent, to turn back to the faithful and righteous God who can restore them and bless them. And I think that appeal worked. Whether it worked on the rebellious in Israel, I have no idea. But I can see in the psalm that it worked on David, that turning himself upward first to God in the midst of difficult circumstances, he found a peace-filled day. What started out as a psalm of lament evolves into a psalm of confidence. By appealing to his enemies with the peace-provoking righteousness of God, David has achieved peace. Psalms 3 and 4 each and together present peace-filled lives with or without peaceful circumstances. And it's definitely without in each of these cases. These psalms are filled with circumstantial distress. And it's not trivial stuff. This is real. Some of you know what it is to be betrayed by someone closest to you. You know a hint of that pain You know what it is to feel overwhelmed, to look around and feel like nothing is going your way, nothing is going right. Everyone and everything is turned against you. There's a story from the Battle of Antietam where one of the commanders was trying to figure out how how vastly he was outnumbered. (laughs) And so he, he sends a young man to climb up a tree and he wants him to count The battalion flags, and he'll do some math and figure out how many there are. And so the man goes up to the tree and he begins to count. There's five, there's 13, 21, 30, 39, and the commander tells him to stop. That'll do, sir. Come down. There are too many foes to count. And is it even a layer beyond that, that in the midst of these circumstances, David is also wondering if God is even hearing or plans to answer his prayers at all? Look back at Psalm 3 and verse 2, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. One of the people's accusations was that God had forsaken David. He no longer had access to his favor. They were trying to undermine his confidence in God by telling him that God would not help him. That feeling like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, that's quite the opposite of peaceful, isn't it? You ask God, and you ask God, and perhaps he says no or not yet, but what you hear is nothing. I remember C.S. Lewis describing praying for his wife to be healed from cancer as knocking on the doors of heaven until his knuckles were bloody and raw, only to find it double bolted. How does it feel when it seems as though God isn't listening? After all, David is not completely innocent. Maybe in his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, he had forever separated himself. Does your sin make you feel that way sometimes? It does, doesn't it? It speaks to us. That that guilt and that shame says to us, you will never enjoy the favor of God again. As the accusations come in from David's enemy and from his own family, can't you see him wondering the same? But when he approaches God in humble appeal and faith, he even feels different. In the psalm, his circumstances don't change, but his day does. Peace filled does not require peace full. For real peace rests in the finished work of Christ. One of the reformers observed that after David here humbled himself before God, he took courage And being well assured of having obtained forgiveness, he was fully persuaded that God is on his side. Let me ask, which to you is a more trustworthy marker that God is on your side? Is it that your circumstances would turn more favorably? Or is it that the righteousness of Christ would make you holy on the day of his coming? Children, I want you to know that you cannot sin so little that God will listen to your prayers. God, I had a good week, so you'll hear me this week. And children, you cannot sin so much that God will stop listening to your prayers. The difference is... Between the godly and the ungodly is not first a measure of how much sin is in their lives. It's the measure of whether or not repentance is present. None of us is perfectly innocent. David was not perfectly innocent. But through repentance, he knew he was perfectly accepted before God in Christ. And real peace rests in that finished work. Finally, real peace is everlasting, by which I mean it lasts all day, every day. The distressing circumstances in Psalms 3 and 4 are and represent different types of hardship. They're the kinds of anti-peaceful circumstances that upend our sense of well-being. But David's experience of them, the real peace he possesses, is the same because real peace is everlasting. Psalm 3, verse 5, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Psalm 4, verse 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I imagine it's the same here as it is in Atlanta that in our congregation we find ourselves regularly praying for sleep. Sleep for children, sleep for young parents, for the sick and the aged. Sleep is a worthy subject of prayer. It's important to our sense of peace. Sleep is also a picture of peace. The ability to sleep well is a strong indicator of the presence of peace. That's why David uses it in both Psalms. Can you sleep when you're worried? When you're anxious about those circumstances and and wrestling with how you'll take them into your own hands and change them? Do you sleep well? You don't. You've had those nights lying awake in bed, unable to sleep because your anxious mind won't allow it. And yet somehow David, even in these circumstances, says he can sleep. He speaks at peace at both ends of the day. Psalm 3 is often called a morning prayer because David is speaking after he woke again, sustained overnight by the Lord despite real danger. And Psalm 4 is described as an evening psalm where David is pre-sleep. I will lie down and sleep. And the combination, said another pastor, is beautiful evidence that David rests in God's promises. The whole day is an opportunity for peace when your peace is everlasting. Oh yes, the circumstances of the day may be filled with much distress with all that's happening in David's life, and he's very honest about it. There is distress, and yet life within the everlasting peace of God allows him to sleep. I've always appreciated that in Psalm 4, he emphasizes both lie down and sleep. David can lie down and close his eyes because he doesn't have to keep watch on all that's happening around him at every moment. He can entrust himself into the care of God. And because he trusts God, when he lies down and closes his eyes, he can also sleep. Another factor here is what Spurgeon called the sleep of holy confidence and a quiet conscience. Remember, we discussed David's sin and repentance. A quiet conscience allows us to sleep. Guilt and shame will keep us up. There's no rest in them. Many today stay up late, and I know there's lots of reasons, but for some, it's because they hate the thoughts that come to them in the quiet moments where they're trying for sleep. But David has unburdened himself of guilt and shame through repentance and he's entered into an everlasting peace, it's a different soundtrack for his twilight hours than the song of his own sin and guilt and shame. His circumstances are distressful, but not distress-ing. His day is not peaceful, but it is peace-filled. And so he goes to sleep, handing over all his concerns to a faithful God. He sleeps, and then he wakes up, trusting God with the day that is before him as well. His peace lasts all day, every day. If psalms like Psalm 4 can start as laments but turn out to be psalms of confidence, And can't our days as well? In Psalm 3, David describes God as his shield. And in Hebrew, it's the kind that offers complete protection, not just for attacks straight on like we think of, but God warding off fiery darts from Satan beneath and from the storms of trials above and even peace to the tempest within. When circumstances assault your peace, even those unquestionably difficult, will you remember that your God is a shield all around you? Yes, the ungodly, David warned, they should tremble and fear before God without repentance. But David, with God as his shield, stands. Firm. Actually, it's a psalm. He doesn't just stand, he sings. He sings before his enemies. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And if that's true spiritually, why do we think it's any less true circumstantially? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Whether or not he's to be saved belongs to the Lord. So why be anxious about what is to come? No, the way of blessedness is not a way free from distress. And sometimes God delivers His people from that physical and temporary distress, and sometimes He does not. Absalom will not succeed here in the murder of his father. Peter in Acts 12 was rescued from prison. God has delivered you from some of the pain that seemed otherwise inevitable. But David will not be delivered from every danger. Before Peter was freed, James was martyred. You will endure loss, sometimes deep loss. But when you do, will you consider the greater David, Jesus? To him was made no promise of a life that would be free from distress, but there was a promise. And the promise to Christ is here in shadows. If you see it, the promise to us is here. If you look closely, it's that we will lie down and sleep and wake up again. Isn't that what Jesus did in his death and burial and resurrection? And isn't it what we will do in him? God may not save you from shame and death like he saved David. You may be hard pressed, one pastor wrote. People may turn against you. You might lose your job or your life. Your own children, those closest to you may hurt you, but he will will save you through shame and through death like He saved your Savior. The promise of the gospel is that you will lie down and sleep and wake up again, for the Lord will sustain you. The people of Psalm 4 were looking for peaceful days, grain and wine, but daily intimacy with God allows as many peaceful filled days as you would like to have in the years that God gives you on earth. Psalm 4-6 is a reference to the great benediction. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Your life will not be free from distress, but your day can be filled with the light of God's face upon you. And that's the invitation of these psalms. That's why David sang. That's why, and this point is free, real peace sings. An ancient scholar once described what he called a life given over to the psalms. It's a worthy and attainable goal. It's a beautiful goal, no matter the difficulty of our circumstances, that we would be found the same at night as in the day, the same in bed as in prayer, the same alone as when surrounded by a crowd of people, that there would be nothing detected by the eye of God that it needs to be concealed from human sight, for our life is given over in song to life before the face of God. The nations and rulers can plot against the Lord and His anointed. They can try to turn God's world upside down, and they can make for all of us a painful mess. And our sin makes quite a mess as well. But if we approach God in prayer with honesty and balance, as David did, if we start vertically, and we receive the, the confidence in God that turns the world right side up again, then when troubled on every side, we will have peace, everlasting peace. We may appear to be dying, and yet we shall live. Brothers and sisters, don't waste your time wishing for a life that is peaceful With these Psalms, pray instead for confidence in God. Prepare yourself for the distress that is coming or perhaps is already here. Remember his faithfulness, remember his goodness, remember his covenant, and you equip yourself with him as a shield. Your days may be hard, but you can be peace filled. You can lie down, you can sleep and you can wake up in peace for the light of His face is upon you. Let's pray. Lord, we think that what we need is a change in our circumstances, and we do pray for those suffering, those in times of great trial, that You would have mercy on them and bring good things. But Lord, we know that what we need is not a change in our circumstances. We need a change in ourselves. We need to look upward rather than inward. We need to rest in the finished work of Christ for us. We need to long to see the glory of your face shining down upon us and know that in that we have all that we will ever need to be at peace and to be satisfied. Oh Lord, would you show us the glory of your face in the, in the preaching of the word, in the singing of the, of the hymns together, in the prayers of the people, in the fellowship of the saints. Show us your glory so that we may trust it and rest in it and forever be in peace. And we pray this in the strong name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen.